We're on Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to be reading it verse by verse in, as soon as I get the Bible. But I want to go through this, and this will take me about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I want us to read. So it's sort of a double whammy, which I always like. So what I'm going to do is sort of tell us what is in Revelation 4 and 5. We, did, we read 4 last week. And then we're going to read the fifth chapter and go through the various parts. Keep in mind, remember that there is a singular thesis that runs throughout Revelation. And I, I say it every week and I'll continue through July when I'm hoping to wrap this up. I think we'll finish in July with, at the 22nd chapter. But if we forget this, everything tends to fall apart. And you really, what do they say? You can't see the forest for the trees. I want you to see this panoramic, strategic, bird's eye, whatever word is appropriate, broad perspective. And that is a singular sentence. One day, Jesus Christ will return. It's an absolute guaranteed promise. And when he does, he will remove all evil and he will make all things new. Remove evil and make all things new. The scroll with the seven seals, that's what's contained inside. Okay, so let me kind of give you a little bird's eye story here of, of, uh, of Revelation 4 and 5. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Go this way. All right. I'm, I've, I've been in her debt for 50 years, so it doesn't make much difference whether she gets this or not. I'm still in her debt. Okay, um, this is the great throne scene. <clears throat> After the seven churches were, were introduced by John, through John, by Christ, then in chapter 4, he was caught in a vision again four times. That's mentioned in Revelation chapters 1, 4, 17, and 21. And while he's in this vision, he hears the Ancient of Days, that would be Jesus, described in Revelation on top of Daniel chapter 9. And this is, he's privy to this incredible scene. And this is what it is. He sees God, who's described as a jasper. Not, he, he wasn't a gem, but he was so brilliant. Probably the ancient jasper, most scholars believe, is the modern-day diamond. Same gem, different name. So God is described as this jasper, or carnelian, this bright, shining light. And around God are four living creatures, probably cherubim. Um, they, that's also described in Daniel. And they were there to protect the presence of God like they were at the Garden of Eden when, when sin entered the world. And around the four living creatures, stay with me, are 24 elders. As we said last week, we don't know who they are, I mean, uh, really, but we do know that they were authoritative because they wore crowns, white robes, and they sat on thrones. Some believe they were um, 24 angels because of the association with the four living creatures who were, who were probably the cherubim. Others think they were 12 apostles and 12 patriarchs and so forth. We don't know who they were. Uh, these 24 elders. So are you seeing this in your mind's eye? You've got God, you've got four living creatures protecting His presence, symbolically. You've got 24 elders sitting on thrones surrounding God, 
And then you have a myriad, means numberless. You have an infinite number, too many to count, of angels, right? God is holding a scroll, and the scroll is sealed with that perfect number in Hebrew numerology, number seven. It's got seven seals. The same seven, by the way, is also... Every, every time there was a will, and, and a, a last will and testament, it had to be um, witnessed by seven witnesses. They had to sign it, seven witnesses. And so there are other allusions to the number seven. He's got a scroll, seven seals, a mighty angel. Mighty, we don't know where it came from. Maybe one of the four living creatures, maybe one of the elders around, uh, maybe, you know, obviously somebody in the heavenly realm. Um, mighty because his voice was so loud, they heard him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, right? And this mighty angel stepped forward and bellowed to the heavens, who is worthy to step forward and take the scroll from the hand of God and break open its seals? And no one moved. Not the cherubim, not Michael the archangel, none of the angels, none of the 24 elders, no one moved. John, who's privy to this, begins to weep. And once the scroll is open, you can appreciate John's tears. And uh, so no one came forward. John is weeping. One of the 24 elders gets up from the throne, his little throne, compared to God, walks over to John and says, John, weep not. Don't cry about this. There is one who is worthy. And he is, he described him with three words, really, two, and then John saw the third. He is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. Now I think John turns expecting to see this roaring lion and the, and the lineage from King David, and what he sees is a paschal lamb, a lamb, right, fit for the slaughter. What's interesting as we read chapter 5, and we'll go into it a little bit more, is that this lamb, though his throat was slit and the blood was coming forth, the lamb was very much alive and victorious, and that's, the, that's this juxtaposition between the lamb that was slain but is alive again, all right? And so the lamb walks forward. The lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. We'll read it in Revelation 5. The lamb walks forward to God like he should be on the throne. And in fact, it is God, the Son. And he takes the scroll from the hand of God. The heavens go ballistic. And they, and they sing a new song. Worthy art thou to, you know, this beautiful song that they sing. He takes the scroll and he begins to break open the seals. Now, every seal that's broken, a great catastrophe takes place. This is the tribulation that John will be writing about. And the first six seals, are they occur in chapter 6. So when we read chapter 6 next week, we're going to be going through six of the seven seals like that. And then there's an interlude, chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, he'll open up the seventh seal. The seventh seal introduces us to seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet introduces us to seven bowls of wrath. The seventh bowl of wrath introduces us to the final battle. Do you see how this is moving? It's the same. You've got the seven years of tribulation, and you've got all this, this war going on, and it's described in different words, different symbols with each little passage. In the end, 
we win. That's the theme. Jesus will return. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God will return and He will remove all evil. And He will judge... Well, I guess I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Well, okay, maybe not. Okay, now we move on down and then we're going to read it. The scroll with the seven seals. I don't know if you can see this board or not. But it's basically a title deed to earth. I just read that from one of the commentators uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that's interesting because a title deed also had to be witnessed by seven witnesses, and so there's a connection to it, meaning who's going to own the earth, right? Did, don't, didn't Jesus himself say that, who, that, that, that the prince of darkness, the prince of the earth, is whom? Lucifer, right? Well, the time's going to come when Lucifer is no longer, the Satan is no longer the prince of this world. God created the world perfectly. The devil brought sin in. And the time will come when God's going to remove all evil and have a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that may be symbolic for only heaven. I don't think we need to parse the words here. Whether God gives us a new earth and the new heavens, that's what Revelation says. Uh, Peter talks about how they'll burn up, and I'm way ahead of myself here. But what, it, what does the scroll contain? The scroll contains, it's, it's the history. I use the word tribulation. It is used in Revelation, by the way. It's not some word that somebody made up. There is a trial period. We don't know how long it is. When we go back to the Old Testament, reading uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, we can kind of piece together it's probably about seven years. And that's, that's what many believe today. But just for, for right now, just know what the scroll is. What is in the scroll is God's judgment for all unbelievers. Hebrews 9.27, it is... It is appointed once for man to die, and then comes the judgment, right? So you've got the scroll is God's judgment. And you can read chapters 6 through the end of 20, and that's God's judgment on the unbelievers. 21, God ushers in the new kingdom. And that's the glorious moment for all of us. That's the saved. That's God's realm. And that's why John wept. If nobody was worthy to break open the scroll, then the unbelievers, the devil and his demons and all evil people would not be judged. They would be in control forever if the scroll is not broken and opened. I couldn't break the seals. Michael the archangel couldn't break the seals. None of you could break the seals. You know, no one except God himself in the form of our sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He broke the seals. Why? Because he alone is worthy of our adoration, our worship, our life, our breath, our children's lives, God is greater than all of us. He's greater than the body of Christ, the church. The church never saved anybody, by the way. Only Christ, the head of the church, saves. And that you need to really drill that in. The church provides wonderful fellowship. 
I thought Benton and Jim, and I'm a little bit biased, but then so are you, you know, like we really like them. Love, their words were so on target this morning. So on target. Um, okay. Now, one last thing, and then we'll look at Revelation 6. What time is it? Is that clock correct? 10.30. What time is it? 10.30. It's only 10.30? The reason I sped you up, Trent, is because I was looking at that clock. I thought it was 10 till 11. Otherwise, I'd have given you your moment. Forgive me. Well, we've got plenty of time, don't we? Okay. I've been talking fast. I'm going to throttle back. No, and there's the other half of the class, too. When I started, only half of you were here. My apologies. I don't wear a watch anymore because, you know, I don't wear a watch. But I don't carry a phone either, so I, don't never, I never know what time it is. Okay. Jesus Christ is described in three words in Revelation 4 and 5. He is described as the Lion of Judah, very much akin to Scripture. I just wrote them down. We'll not read them, but you can take a picture or read it yourself. Genesis 49. He's described as the root of David from David's lineage, and that was very important to the seven churches, very important to the, to the completed Jew, to, to uh, Jewish Christians. And Isaiah 11, Matthew 22, and there are many other passages, and he's the Lamb of God. My favorite here is John 1:29, but you've got the suffering servant text in Isaiah 52 and 53, and uh, there's a lot of reading, but it really is a wonderful read. But John 1.29 is John the Baptist is baptizing in the River Jordan. And up you know, comes Jesus. And John the Baptizer has with him um, John the son of Zebedee, I think the author of the fourth gospel. And he has Andrew with him, the, the brother of, of, of Peter. And that's all. He's got Andrew and John, and he sees Jesus, and, and John the baptizer tells his two disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. <clears throat> and from that moment on, the Bible tells us that Andrew and John and all of John the Baptist's disciples left John and began to follow Jesus. So you've got that connection. And, of course, our Lord called them both to be apostles. <clears throat> it's kind of a little contrast here. Don't read too much into it uh, because I could, I could argue nearly for, for the Lamb being those things as well. But the, it's, but, but the Lamb of God, at least in that text in John, Jesus is referred to the, as the Lamb in his, in his initial coming to earth, the first advent. He is the Lamb of God. He's born, right? Luke 2, uh, Matthew 1, the heavens sing a song. And, uh, and then quickly, as far as the narrative is concerned, he goes from infancy to age 12 in Luke, and then about a chapter with age 12. But immediately he's caught up as an adult, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Three-year ministry, then the crucifixion. And the, and the burial and the resurrection, that's the gospel. So he's, in the first advent, he's known as the Lamb of God. Uh, he's described in Scripture as meek. Well, I wish we had more time um, because meek can also mean majestic. Um, the word in Greek is preis, and, and it, means, 
It means a controlled strength. Controlled strength. Um, He's the Savior, and he was judged. The Pharisees judged him, Pilate judged him, the world judged him, and they killed him. And he brought grace, right? First chapter of John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, full of grace and truth, John chapter 1. Now, in Revelation, even though this is a very important image, from chapter 6 forward, he is not so much the paschal lamb as he is the lion of Judah. And this powerful ancient of days, powerful son of God, brings retribution on all evil. Those who were evil at his first advent then, you know, they will be judged, but they are physically long gone. That was 2,000 years ago, and they're dead. They will still be judged, Hebrews 9.27. But we're talking about the tribulation, talking about the, the second advent. So in the second advent, he's referred to as the Lion of Judah. He comes majestically. That's why the, lion, the Lamb of God, as we read Revelation 5, is described with seven horns. I never saw a paschal lamb with seven horns or seven eyes. And so God, through Christ, God, Jesus, is telling John, this is what John sees. He does see a lamb which is with its throat slit and blood running down. That's the sacrificial lamb. But it's not a sacrificial lamb that, that is tended to be referred to in, as the lamb of God in John 1. This lamb also has seven horns. We'll discuss it. And seven eyes, all-powerful, all-seeing. He is the lion lamb of Judah. Majestic, sovereign, he comes not to be judged. He comes to judge. And we use the word judge differently, but when we talk, whenever Jesus said in John, um, I mean in Matthew, um, Matthew 7, 1, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And the word judgment there, the reason it's important that we don't judge like we, like we don't judge so we'll not be judged the same way is because the word judge is not talking about distinguishing right from wrong. So if I'm living a, if I commit a heinous sin and, and you judge me for that sin, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's your responsibility this is the village, this is the body of Christ, the family. We need to help each other. But the word judge in Matthew 7 and throughout the New Testament is used to damn, condemn. And nobody has the right. Only God has that right. I can't tell John Doe, because of this sin, you're going to hell. Excuse me, when did Christ, when did God die and put, you know, wit on the throne here? So judge not, wit, lest you be judged. Do you want God to judge you that way? No, 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 no. Then you be more... Do you follow me? That's what the word judge means. It means heaven or hell. It doesn't mean distinguishing right from wrong. So Jesus comes as the judge. He has the power. He's going to remove evil. Where are they going to go? They're not going with the Lord to heaven. They're going to hell. 
Right? He judges them. They end up judging themselves, but he's the one who pronounces the judgment. No one else has the right. Only God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has that power. And he comes and he, um, and, and oh, forgot where I was. Um, here he brought grace. Here he's bringing judgment. Same thing. See, he comes as the judge and he's bringing judgment. Okay, that's just sort of a paraphrase. Anybody have a... We have, we have plenty of time. <laughs> I'm going I'm to open up here to Revelation chapter 5. You have a question before we get into chapter 5 on anything? Comment? Okay. Oh, yes, ma'am. Shirley. Well, I have a very dumb question. Oh, I doubt that. But when it says, I was in the Spirit, mm-hmm. what exactly is that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't really have a good answer. <laughs> I just know that he said it four times, and every time he was caught up to heaven. Now, physically, probably not. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, really. When he was in the Spirit, he was definitely mind, soul, body, emotion. All of our, we are physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual beings. I think when he says, I was in the Spirit, all of that, at the very least, the emotional, mental, and spiritual was caught up. He might have been in a coma. Somebody might have walked by and said, what's wrong with John? He's, he's been asleep for, you know, for six hours. I mean, he's been, he, I, don't, I do not know. I don't know. It's a great question. But it was separated from just in your mind. Meaning, because he was privy. When we, when we go back in our memory, we see things. And so I can, I can be in a daze. I can, we call it daydreaming or even night dreaming. But we're dreaming about places we've already been and things we've already done or totally make-believe, right? This, way he, this was different. That's why he, he isolates it four times. I was in the Spirit, and then I heard the voice say, Say this to the seven churches. I was in the Spirit, and I saw God sitting on the throne. So um, it was real, and he was present. And I don't know the rest. Do you guys have a better answer? It's okay. In fact, I'd love to hear it. What do you think in the Spirit means? Keep that thought, Sue. Who was, who's speaking? Oh, thank you, Todd. Was it Todd? But, I yeah. Mean, it makes me think about Paul. He, I mean, almost said the same thing you said. Uh-huh. He said he didn't know. That's right, he did. I got, thank I you, Brian. I stand a pretty good company. Yeah. I mean, he, so your answer lines up with what Paul said. That's good thought, Todd. Thank you so much. Sue, you had a word? Think about when you were talking last week about the Holy Spirit coming on all these different people. Yeah, that was Acts 10 and then Samson account. Uh Yeah, and so that even, it's, how does the, you know, how do you know, you know, that the Holy Spirit has come on you? How did, how did he know? I mean, other than just, I mean, he, he was inspired by God, you know, mm-hmm. to write this. So yeah. he had to 
you had to have that knowledge. But well, I do think there is a and and that there is a um, and a, there there is a surety, an assurance. For example, Cornelius in Acts ten when he. He didn't even say he believed, he and his family. They just started speaking in tongues. So it was pretty obvious, even to Cornelius. Maybe while he's doing this, he's thinking, I don't even know what I'm saying myself. You know, he just starts speaking in tongues. It was very, it was a one-time moment, very unique. Let's not get off on that away from Revelation. But, um, but it was clear to Cornelius and, and clear to Peter that he is in the Spirit right now, the Spirit, right? The rest of us, Acts 2.38, when we're baptized and we receive the Spirit, it's, it's, by, it's by promise. That's why the, the Bible says, and the promise was sent to you and to your children and to all who are far off, to all whom the Lord God calls to Him. It's a promise. We believe the promise. I didn't come up from the waters of baptism or any belief moment in my childhood or adulthood where all of a sudden I was out of control and God took over. Now that may happen today. I'm not saying it can't happen today. I'm saying that it doesn't happen, that the only place in the New Testament we read about it was on the day of Pentecost and Acts 10. And I think that's for a reason. It, but it doesn't negate the spirit that you have. And the closer we grow to God, the more we feel God's presence in everything we do. And then the eye of faith can look back and say, whoa, thank you, Lord. At the time, I didn't even know you were choreographing, orchestrating this, but I see it now clearly. So, good question, Sue, I mean, uh, Shirley, and a good follow-up, and I don't have a whole lot of answers, so I'm not taking any more questions. <laughs> now, anybody else have a thought before we get in Revelation 6 here? That's a good thought, honey. There, man, there's so much we don't know. And, and I would be very careful for all of, I'll speak to myself. I try to be more than I used to be. I try to be very cautious in any sort of judgmental spirit when anyone shares any encounter with the Lord. And not only cautious, I just would either believe them or say it's I don't want to be going against the Lord. And if God spoke to someone and it's clear they had this near death and there was communication, I don't want to tell the person and irritate my God. So it's just, you know, to each their own, but that's a good thought. I personally think it's possible, very possible for what it, God can do anything he wants to do. He is omnipotent. We, you know, we, we do sometimes want to put him from Genesis to Revelation, but the word of the Lord is a drop in the ocean compared to God. He gives us this because it is the guide, all the guide we need to lead us to Him and to grow with Him. And so thank God for His Word. And I thank God for the translators because I know how challenging, impossible for me that would be. So. Well, now we are chasing a bona fide rabbit. Yeah, that's a good thought, honey. Good thought, Debbie. Okay, now, anybody else? Because this is, this is good. 
It's probably still 10.30, so we're, we're going to keep pressing. Okay, Revelation chapter 6. Here we go. I mean chapter 5. Here we go. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I tell you, church, what we're looking at here, class, is the coronation of the king. We're looking at it, it just, as you read Revelation 4 and 5, it is a coronation of King Jesus. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. By the way, uh, if you want to read more about that, I nearly... Uh, we could also, maybe, maybe we'll do it next week. If you have, read Revel, uh, Daniel chapter 12, like verses 1 through uh, 11 or 12, it lays out exactly the same thing that we're reading here in Revelation 6. And if you tie it together, well, let me just give you a piece of it. I think we can do a little bit. We've got, and if not, we'll just look at, Revel, uh, look at Daniel 12. I'm going to read a portion of it. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. This is all about the end times. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, God's people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, who have obeyed the gospel, obeyed the Lord, will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and forever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. You can do your own study on it, but I believe the, the scroll that Jesus is opening is the one that Daniel sealed. Many will go here and there. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Um, then Daniel talks about it, um, verse seven. The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. I heard him swear by him who lives forever. It will be for a time, times, and a half a time. The word time there in Hebrew is really the word year. So we're talking about three and a half years. If we get into the seven years, how they come up with the seven years of the tribulation, this is where it comes from. Um, that's three and a half years. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, when will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. Hmm. None of the wicked will understand. They won't even understand that there's been, I'll use the word rapture, that there's been a caught up, even if there is no rapture at that time. They won't understand what's going on, but the believers will know. But those who are wise will understand. Um, from, the, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, we can, we're going to maybe look into that a little more deeper. 1,290 days is, guess what? Three and a half years. 
They get the seven years from that period, from Daniel chapter 12. And if it fits into Revelation, then at least it's worthy of our consideration. More importantly, we just need to be prepared when the time comes. Ricky, or I mean Kevin, uh, Kevin, Jason. The abomination, the, the abom- I can't even say, the abomination of the desolation. We're talking about, we're go- it's going to unfold in chapter 6. It's the abomination of the desolation is talking about the end time. And it's abominating those who, 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 are, is, it's, who are in control and, and maligning God, who desecrate God's holy temple. Who is, where, who is God's holy temple? The church, the abomination, are those who desecrate all righteousness. Okay, I know that was an aside, but at least you can mark it and read it for yourself. And I encourage that. Okay, now when John noticed, verse 4, um, Trent, would you tell me when it's 1110 or is it 1110? Okay, well, I mean, just give me five minutes. We're going to end at 1115 to help them with the, then we're going to move tables. Verse 4, now the moment John discovers that, the, the, uh, that, the, that, that there's no one worthy, he said, the Bible says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Here are the words. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to uh, open the scroll and its seven seals. Now what he's hearing is the Lion of Judah and the Root of David. What he sees is a lamb. And you'll hear and you'll see that a lot. What I hear is this, what I see is something different from what I heard. And really it it completes what, what he heard with the horns and the eyes. Then I saw a lamb looking, was it slain? Brother Witt. Yeah. I hate I hate to drag you backwards. Yeah. Back up in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. Right. The under the earth is not referring to Satan and his minions. It's referring to the, the dead that died in the Lord. It's, it's referring to the entire universe. Under the earth would be those who have died in the Lord and out of the Lord, and including Beelzebub, Lucifer, the, the fallen angel. What, what that means is no one has the power. No one had the power to write the scroll to seal the scroll, or to unlock the scroll, except God himself. Father, Son, Spirit. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. The lamb that walked forward and took the scroll from the hand of the Father was both Christ imbued with God's Holy Spirit. So we've got the Trinity right there. You've got God on the throne, you've got the Lamb, which is Jesus, and you've got the seven spirits, which is the Holy Spirit. So I think no one could open it, not, in the he- not angels, not humans, not demons, not the alive or not the dead. Does that help? Okay. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. It was not slain. That's the whole point. If the lamb, were, if the lamb was dead, there would be no story. Um, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven 
horns. Just a very clear Old Testament symbol for power. Power. Kings talked about seven, uh, having seven horns, and probably many of the crowns were had seven points, and it and it denoted power. And the lamb, seven horns and seven eyes, which are he he explains it, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. It is clearly the uh, Holy Spirit. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. We're going to read a little bit more than I want to back up. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. These are all liturgical. If you can, if I can use the word liturgical, these are all worship words. The moment the lamb took the scroll, the first thing, and began to break its seals, the first thing that happened was everyone bowed down. They were knees or prostrate. They, they bowed down. And you, a couple of weeks ago, Patterson preached on the word proskuneo, and it means to bow down. It's the word we translate as worship. And he brought up a very good point that uh, it's often associated with covering the eyes. Why? Because the jasper's too brilliant. And all you can do when you're in the presence of God is to bow down. Isaiah, his prophetic call, Isaiah 6, you know, woe is me. I mean, you, all, all through Scripture. And, and, and without Christ, we, would, we, would, we, we couldn't possibly experience God's, the Father's presence. So keep in mind, these are worship words. Music, worship, bowing down, prayers, singing. It's a worship service. It is a heavenly worship service. In fact, the four living creatures were created, and I think all of us, the 24 elders, we were created to worship. That's what we were created to do. Now, worship's 24-7. We had a beautiful time this morning breaking bread together and celebrating our family with the children and the moment and we're worshiping now, and when we leave, if you go play golf somewhere, you're worshiping God. If you go home, you're wor- if you go to the grocery store, you're worshiping God. It's, t- it's, it's ongoing. Now, one more, uh, I want to bring up a, a text here, and then we'll, then we'll um, keep reading Revelation 6. And I think we'll, fin- we'll finish the whole chapter, even if we only have three or four minutes. There is the text, and, and let's just read it. Um, turn to Romans 12 and verse 1. Okay, and when you get it, somebody, like a mighty angel, read it out loud. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. All right. Now, Paul's addressing the church at Rome, and we won't explain what the first 11 chapters were, but he's telling them, you are always in worship. You are the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. God's spirit is in you. It's that John 4, woman at the well, the hour is coming. You don't have to worship God in this temple or Jerusalem. God is spirit. And the moment 
the Spirit enters us, we are the tabernacle. We are the temple. That's why sin is so atrocious. When I commit sin, and I have over and over again in my lifetime, when I commit sin, it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It just means that God is so disappointed. And it's just like nails on a chalkboard. It is the antithesis to what you were created. You were a new creation. And then you fell back into this old moment. And it is, it's not worship. And so, if you have an altar, Old Testament for the moment, if you have an altar and they have sacrifices, right here, reading it right here, Revelation 6, who do we, do we sacrifice a lamb or do we have to bring, if we don't have money, do we have to bring a, a dove or a pigeon for, to, for our sin atonement? Who is our atoning lamb? Jesus. Does Christ, and these are all synonymous, does Christ live, not just in our minds, does He live, a.k.a. the Spirit, within us? Yeah. So, when I worship, when I go, when I leave this building, do I leave the temple? Huh? temple goes with me everywhere I go. It goes with me at my worst moments when I'm the weakest, it's with me. And so what should be our sacrifice on our, the altar within our temple? Romans 12. <coughs> Us. Us. Yeah, just read it again, William, please. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, keep in mind that as he's watching this throne scene, that's what's that's what's going on. We're soon going to come in Revelation six to those um martyrs and where are they crying from i'll just we're going to stop here where are they crying to god um, avenge us avenge us where symbolically are they john says they're under the altar they're under the altar they're the ones during the trial during the tribulation who have been killed martyred for the sake of christ and they're under the altar. They, they were the sacrifice. And they're pleading to God to finish the scroll. Open all the seals. Bring it to a close. When will you avenge us, O Lord? And it really is a beautiful unfolding. Okay. Any, um, let me ask, what time is it, Sue? Do you have a, what time is it, class? Okay, well, we're going, to, we're going to just close it pretty much now. Um, does anybody have a thought or a closing question or a comment or anything that you just want to bring up? We have anything? Yes, William. Uh, back to that uh, when it says John was in the Spirit, and then the comment you made about uh, being prostrate and then covering your eyes because it's too bright yeah. and uh, how the Holy Spirit is fully taken over John so that and, and you notice that John didn't cover his eyes or anything, but he was paying attention to everything that was going on. 
That's true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I know this is going to be a, for, for me too, this, in fact, for me probably more, this is going to be a wonderful study um, for me. And in the end, we all need to uh, have a prayer after we read each of these chapters. For example, um, I'm going to close this in prayer with, with my eyes wide open, okay? You can close yours or leave them open. But Heavenly God, I do, we do give you glory now and forever, and thank you so much, Lord, for revealing to us that no matter what we suffer and what trials we go through, that we are forgiven, we are received, we are welcomed, and we are protected. We have eternal salvation, and no one can take that from us. And it's all because of your love and grace and mercy. So thank you for giving us your revelation to help us grow. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, and the Lamb of God. Amen.